Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Total domination. Max Verstappen storms to a half-minute victory in Hungary to give Red Bull Racing a record-breaking 12th straight win. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 11, the Hungarian Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton pinched pole from Max Verstappen in one of the year's great qualifying sessions, pipping his former title rival by just three thousandths of a second. But the faint promise of a competitive race evaporated as quickly as it took Max to hit the brakes into Turn 1. He seized the lead, and the race was over. Every lap led, fastest lap of the race, another dominant victory. But the battle for second was far more interesting, with McLaren's Lando Norris getting ahead of Mercedes Hamilton in another unpredictable battle to lead the best of the rest behind the dominant Dutchman. But with George Russell recovering from 18th to 6th, and a late Hamilton charge almost getting him back onto the podium, did Mercedes leave more on the table? To help answer that question and explain how Max Verstappen obliterated hopes for a close race and broke new ground for his team, I'm joined by F1 commentator Alex Jakes. Alex, how are you going? I'm very good. It is good to speak to you once again. Uh, obviously, timing not ideal. I thought we'd be 2-2 in the ashes at this point. <laughs> I thought we could have a bit of fun with it. It's all crumbled. It's all fallen apart. So, uh, yeah. There we go. Probably a good time to start talking about F1. <laughs> well, if there's nothing else to talk about, I can have plenty of fun with it personally. But, you know, it's all got to be fair and equal. So we'll leave it for another week at least. Max Verstappen. We'll talk about Max Verstappen. Yeah. Um, someone who's doing a lot of winning. One again this weekend. Seven in a row. More importantly, though, 12 in a row for Red Bull Racing. Uh, a record that dates back to 1988. McLaren, Alain Prost, Ayrton Senna. Names people will know, sort of inherently, if they're Formula 1 fans, I suppose. Is it weird for you to talk about them in the same sentence? Because I still haven't wrapped my head around that one. It is an I- 1988 is an iconic car. Iconic team, iconic livery, iconic drivers, part of the the fable of Formula One and, and part of the, the things that we always reference when we go for the benchmark. And yesterday we got a new benchmark and it's very difficult to appreciate at the same time. Um, you could tell those who've been involved for a long time that that's the most animated I'd ever seen Red Bull outside of winning their championships. Uh, and their early races, they really were giddy at the fact that they're the new benchmark with that that record that stood. All right, so the, the numbers are important, 11 races in a row. But, but realistically, what it speaks to was that was the quality mark for the history of Formula One for a constructor. And it now belongs for the first time in, in, in 34 and a half years to, to another name. So you could tell that the team... Uh, understandably were were the team were giddy 
in 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 a really nice way and their hard work deserves it because they've they've built something almost unfathomably quick i want to get your take on this as well from your commentator box perspective i suppose someone who has to enliven races or scenarios that are maybe not always prone to enlivening Uh, a lot of wins for max verstappen and red bull obviously some people will say well that's getting repetitive all that kind of thing but i thought it was really interesting and important i suppose that i think max said afterwards that it's the the level of the quality of work for a consistent period of time is always understated. The fact that it's that they're performing, you know, as a good example, Sergio Perez had a pit stop that was 1.9 seconds, and Perez wasn't even in contention yeah. for the win, barely in contention for the podium, but still for them, uh, still the team managed to give him a, a rapid pit stop. And even Max Verstappen's absolute disappointment, almost fury at missing out on pole by three thousandths of a second and starting second. Is it hard to express... The how high a level this team is performing at, aside from the fact that the car is obviously very good, the team is performing at this level. No, I think that's a very good point. For, from a commentary box point of view, you have to tread the line between giving them the praise that they deserve and being effusive and, and trying to tell the story of how they've done that without winding the viewer up to sound like you're just being sycophantic, mm-hmm. which you're not, but you're trying to express... Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this uh, for the various, you know, I was thinking about how to basically explain it. And I think should, and there's nothing to suggest that he won't, should Max eventually win the most consecutive races for a, for a driver in Formula One history? I think at that point, you'll tell the story of, of, of why and how this is so impressive. And the fact that I think what happens at the time, there is a little bit of like, oh, I'd love to have seen a close race like we had a close qualifying session. But I, having sat through the Michael Schumacher domination <laughs> era, very much appreciate that now. And maybe when it was the thing that I looked forward to a week as a kid on a Sunday, didn't appreciate it at the time. So I think these, these things always take time. And uh, it is a challenge for the commentary box to tell that story in real time, because I think we always appreciate it with a little bit of distance when there's a there's a bit of perspective. So maybe that's something that gets appreciated in the years that follow rather than the aftermath, say the day after a Grand Prix when we're talking now. It's like going to the dentist. You got to do it. It hurts. The outcome is pretty good. <laughs> Reflecting upon it in the future, you'll be pleased that you went and watched Formula 1 in 2023. So, it's one way to think about it. I, I can see the block caps email from my boss now saying, did you go on a podcast and compare world's greatest sport to, to go to the dentist? And I was like, I did not. Michael did. Michael's worth. <laughs> Look, for what it's worth, I'm perfectly fine enjoying this season. You know, and I don't like owning the Dinters, so it's not the same. Not the same. Uh, I want to go back to that Verstappen to, to talk about some of the elements of this race now. I want to talk about that mm. Verstappen qualifying performance, or more importantly, I guess, the, the post-qualifying reaction. Uh, in the context, I guess, of this pursuit of perfection that he sort of talked about afterwards, but also the way that it happened. I mean, it, unusual for Mercedes to take a pole in this year. It's only the first time it's happened since they last won the title, and first time Lewis Hamilton got one since 2021 in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. If we went back then, it would seem ridiculous to think that, but here we are. Mm. Three thousands of a second, and Verstappen was... You would have thought he'd qualified in Q1 for some of his response afterwards. How is it that we got such a, a result that it seemed to even take him by surprise, considering it seemed to kind of be in the works for Red Bull all along, that they were gearing up for a better race performance? Yeah, I think, I think a, a confluence of factors affected it there. Uh, I think you had the new format, which dramatically changed the run plan. You had the mixed weather conditions. You had the different tyres for qualifying. 
You had the fact that the Mercedes on low fuel around the Hungar ring was phenomenal. You had the fact that it's one of Lewis Hamilton's best circuits and the fact that Red Bull heavily, heavily prioritised the race setup. And I think all of those melded into one thrilling conclusion to qualifying meant that we had... What a wonderful thing to be on the final qualifying run and not know whether it's going to be the man who's on his way to his third title and this incredible hot streak that he's on, one of the all-time greats trying to return to the front of the field at the circuit where he's best, or whether Lando Norris's resurgence was going to carry him to a second career pole. It's the openness and competitiveness of that that made it such a thrill, but about five things had to line up for us to get that <laughs> session. One of them was that qualifying format you mentioned. I want to touch on this for a little bit because it's funny to think about how we arrived at this format. So many different motivations have been listed. The environmental impact of bringing fewer tyres to a Grand Prix. But then also there's like, well, maybe it'll spice up the show. This could also be a good motivation. And I'm I'm not convinced we've landed, by the environmental aspect aside, we had fewer tyres. That was a success. They didn't exist. Mm. Uh, but the competitive element of it is one I'm, I'm not convinced about where we've landed on it we did have an extremely interesting a thrilling qualifying hour in fact and we did have some cars out of position george russell out in 18th carlos Sainz out in 11th in q2 but can you link them do you think that this has had a, a notable strategic effect in the way qualifying ran aside from the mandatory tires and the way that we got the race outcome or is it a bit of a coincidence do you think it is an unusual circuit the hungar ring because it is one corner after another corner after another corner in a way that not many other circuits have in Formula One. So the circuit itself is a bit of an outlier. I can't think of many places that we go on the calendar where the track temperature can vary by 20 degrees in one weekend. So I think that played in as well. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a great venue. But yeah, that, that plays a massive part. But I do think that not being able, being forced to use every tyre all the way through. I know we got a bit of heat earlier in the weekend, but I like the fact that Pirelli saved all those tyres. I think it was a, we were going to try it in Imola, weren't we? So we've only got one sample size for it. Um, it would be interesting to see it at a, uh, at a track which isn't as much of an outlier. I think if we tried it in Spain, for example, we would not have had... Uh, the same, maybe the same shock or the same variation. But I thought, I mean, listen, change, you can, people can get down on change all the time. But I was just intrigued to see what it did. And any time the teams have to improvise more, any time the driver has to lean more on their instincts, any time that it has to happen more in, in real time, I'm for it. So I'm not against losing a practice session here and there or removing uh, data from the team. I like them having to scramble a little bit because that's when you get the real, that's when you're able to see the ingenuity or the strategy smarts or you're able to see team and driver in, in harmony in a way that if they have three hours, if it's the same format every week, it's muscle memory rather than instinct in the way that I think it was across the across the qualifying hour and across Saturday as a whole as well as well from FB3 to to the qualifying hour. Yeah, the practicing back actually is a good point to raise here because it did mean that teams weren't sure how to approach it. Partly that was as well because we had that seemingly very random rain shower in FP1 that appeared out of nowhere and got very heavy very quickly. Mm. And then there was over by the time we got to second practice and so on. So we had reduced running and that kind of thing. Reduced running does seem to tend to be the key, doesn't it? You know, we've had we've tended to have 
generally interesting sprint, week, sprint weekends as an example or weekends that have tended to look a little bit closer than they otherwise do because we only have one practice session so that's a good change and it is just uh, I guess a difficult balancing act isn't it you reduce tires you reduce running which means there's just less running without a replacement session like in a sprint weekend but we'll wait and see like you say i think you always need more of a sample size and we just don't have enough of one yet let's look at the way this race started to unfold max Saffron, we've talked about he won by a lot uh the battle for second though was where things were very interesting between mercedes and mclaren i want to start off actually just looking at mclaren overall for a second it's been three weeks now since they've brought or three rounds now since they've started upgrading the car they've been good at all three rounds in austria silverstone uh, and now here in Hungary. I don't know about you, but I found it very interesting how hard they've wanted to insist that they won't be good at subsequent weeks. And I, I wonder whether that is a like a deep-seated self-skepticism. Like, have they become so so wary about big predictions over the last couple of years that they can't accept that actually now maybe they might be the second quickest team? I understand what you want them to do. You want them to say in block capitals, we're back. We're McLaren <laughs> I want the press and release. we're back. <laughs> um, the, I think they have been stung a number of times. I think th- that team was on. That was team was in the doldrums, wasn't it? it? Was in a bit of a nightmare. Fernando Alonso went off into his uh, his first mini retirement. Tried other championships. Then they got on a really nice upward trajectory. They got back to winning races. The new regulations came. Regulations that on the surface surface of it were perfect for a team like McLaren, and uh, they fluffed their lines. And I think that really, really stung. I think the fact that if they'd hit the ground running in the 2022 regulations, I think they would have really been happy with that. They didn't take advantage. They were chasing themselves at the start of the year. They've had the same thing again. They've had to change concepts. So now suddenly they have changed concepts, having written off basically eight rounds of the Formula One World Championship. And they're very, very competitive. But I think there is a... I think what is happening and what is playing out is confusing everyone in the battle for second place at the moment. Uh, So no one wants to commit to anything firm at all. But Silverstone is nothing like the Hungar ring. So that McLaren update is working wonderfully. Uh, After Austria, I got the feeling that the the, the team felt that Lando was making the difference there. Of course, then they plonk the update on both cars and they're like, okay, well, Silverstone's basically flat out and we've got good aerodynamic efficiency from what we've brought to the car. And then they get to Budapest and they've they've almost done a happy shrug, Michael, and gone, yeah, well, looks like it's brilliant. Looks 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 like it's working. So um, the great thing for them, though, is that they took advantage. They've taken advantage of both races where they qualified well. You know, putting two cars in the top five is something that McLaren struggled to do for, for a while now. They've had, they've had outlier results with one car or the other, but two cars in the top five, very, very solid. And uh, great, to see, great to see Piastri doing well in his rookie season and great to see Lando Norris, whose, whose talent was being wasted. And, and you know what? I think he was one sentence away from saying it at the start of the year. He'd got a long-term deal with McLaren and you could just see his temper fraying at the edges that he knows how good he is. All of the other drivers know how good he is and he wasn't able to fight at the front. And then suddenly, click your fingers, the update works. <laughs> And he's back in the top five and and terrorizing victory trophies <laughs> all over the world. Long may that continue. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The taking advantage element, I think, is something really interesting because I want to talk about one of the, the key, I guess, strategic debates of this race or, or interesting talking points, which was that first pit stop for McLaren. They were under attack from Lewis Hamilton. The pace of those two cars seemed relatively close. In fact, Mercedes thinks maybe, in fact, Lando Norris thinks too, that maybe Mercedes was actually the second quickest car, but didn't execute as well. Uh, McLaren responded by pitting Norris first. He was the second car in the order. Oscar Piastri is up to second. Norris was third. There's obviously, well, I can tell you from the Australian perspective, there's been a lot of debate about why that was the case. I don't buy into all of the things people say on Twitter. Let me say that right <laughs> up front. What was your read on that, though, considering that is a little bit like out of the, the regular operating procedure and that McLaren did seem to have pretty good... I mean, it was pretty comfortable after the pit stop that Lando Norris was ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Do you think that that does reflect that eagerness to make sure no opportunity is missed when had there been a bit more long-term confidence in the team they'd have been more willing to just play it by the numbers as another team might yeah you've got to remember that mclaren and i mean this in the in the most respectful way i can form this sentence mclaren have been stung in the past by not reacting if you think back to lando norris russian grand prix they had a call to make to win the race they didn't make the call uh, as tough when you've got track position and you're so close to the end. They didn't make the call. And I think the team that day learned that they're going to stick to their guns in a strategy situation and they're going to be more forceful with the calls the next time they are at the front. You've also got to remember that Lewis Hamilton was about three and a half, 3.8 seconds away. I'm doing this from memory and it's the day after the race, so this, this might not be bang on. But I think Lewis was about three and a half seconds away from Lando. So he wasn't in the undercut range but he was a sticky wheel nut away from being in trouble if he made his stop. So I can understand why McLaren have gone, right, we're going to cover that off. Because the warm-up and the performance early on on that hard tyre for the Mercedes wasn't just a bit weird. He dropped nine seconds mm. back. Well, McLaren can't possibly predict that. And if you're going, right, I've got a seven-time world champion who's taken his first pole position of the year yesterday... If I have an even slightly slow stop, they're going to be level coming out of the pits because I expect the undercut to be, you know, worth, you know, maybe worth two seconds. So they're running with two seconds. You've got 3.8 in hand. It's Lewis Hamilton. You're going, all right, I've got to cover that off. I've got to cover that off with the car that's at risk. The car that at risk was Lando Norris. That was a very sound strategic call in the context of the race. Before you even get into the logic of Lando qualified ahead, Lando is the long-term driver, Lando is the team leader, Lando is the driver most likely to deliver your podium on the evidence of this season so far. So before you even get to that, I personally entirely see why they pitted Norris first. Now I can see why, if you're a Piastri fan, uh, or you think that the driver and the leader of the race should get the strategic option, that you would be you, you would be disappointed with that. But if they'd covered Piastri and they'd not brought Norris in, you know, they would have dropped back, but then they would have lost time. You would have had to switch them round. 
I think they I think they did the right thing. And I don't think there was any conspiracy uh, in there, because if you were looking at the information in real time, you only had three point eight seconds to play with. And uh, the warm up on performance on heavy fuel on that hard tire, they didn't know that was going to happen. And I kept expecting a replay of Lewis going off mm. or, or having a major moment. And I was like, and then he came on the radio and he's like, how are we nine <laughs> seconds behind? And, I, and in the commentary box, we were saying, how is he nine seconds behind? And then I imagine on the Clarence pit wall, they were going, how is he nine seconds behind? But it, but it all worked out. And like, yeah, it, it, it all worked out in the end. Um, but yes, uh, no conspiracy theories required uh, at this point. Lando qualified ahead. He's the team leader. Uh, whether that will be the case forever... So it's entirely down to Oscar Piastri. Some incredibly exciting signs in the first 11 races of his F1 career that it is going to be a two-car team there, which is exactly why McLaren hired him in the first place, to make it a two-car team. I do love, because it does seem like this is exactly the case, that literally everyone was wondering where that nine seconds went. The fact that Lewis Hamilton was wondering it quite publicly on the radio is sort of interesting in itself. And it's interesting too that on the weekend in which all the teams had more hard tyres than usual and sort of had fewer excuses to not know how they work, it seemed like Mercedes was a little bit caught out. Toto Wolff was talking after the race about how they were potentially just too cautious with the way they were approaching the tyres, despite this being a car that normally treats it pretty well. Do you think it's... I mean, the start obviously was pretty impactful in terms of Lewis Hamilton's overall result. Holding more positions may have had a, a, a much bigger impact at the end. But how much of this outcome do you think was Mercedes kind of missing an opportunity here? Something we don't often say about the team, but just in their overall approach. Uh, they don't understand, in my opinion, and I think if you look at the quotes from certainly Andrew Shovlin, who is always phenomenal in the way that he, he describes the information there, he's always very open about it. I don't think the team fully understand that car in all conditions. And you have to remember that the track temperatures that we got were the highest of the weekend, and the Mercedes does tend to favour a slightly lower track temperature. If you remember George Russell taking pole at, at, in Budapest a year ago, that was when we got incredibly low temperatures, and the car suddenly found itself dropping into a window that was more favourable to them compared to the others. I don't think they fully understand why uh, things are working the way that they are. Uh, Lewis obviously had no real purchase in the opening three corners, of the race and then got shuffled back and then but then in the final stint came alive again so uh useful data for for the mercedes team but i don't think they have a full handle on why the car behaves the way that it did because when hamilton made that stop uh you know just beyond lap 15 i believe when he made that stop and went on to the hard tires you would have expected far more performance than they had and he just went through about 15 laps of total pain before the fuel burnt off. Yeah, and I mean, fair to have expected perhaps a little bit more considering George Russell's alternatively excellent race. And we talk about Mercedes not fully under, potentially not fully understanding what they've got. George was talking after the race about how the strategy computer, I'd love to meet one day the strategy <laughs> computer, uh, was saying there's no way he could achieve the result he did. They were looking probably 11th, and if everything went really well, 
probably seventh at most. And there was no safety car, no virtual safety car to help him out. He started on the hard tyre, made up a heap of places at the start on that hard tyre, and then had two really aggressive performances at the end. It's it's really interesting to consider, you know, when Mercedes' major upgrade came earlier this year, they, they really felt like they were getting a handle on things. And a few races in, with the background context, I guess, of McLaren looking like they're doing great things, that it feels like, it doesn't feel like we've made the same amount of progress we thought the team was making maybe a month or two ago it feels a little bit like we're back in a little bit of a rut from the last maybe even 18 months yeah i i, I think so i think that yeah the progress part of it i think the rut is a, is an entirely fair way to describe it um yes the strategy computer <laughs> yeah i think the understanding is the under the understanding of these regulations is is something that they you know they've gone to a different concept They've gone from last year. They stuck with it for a long time. They are playing catch up, but they're they're a bright bunch there, and they'll, I think they'll get answers fairly quickly. But clearly, they are not running races with the the full understanding that they would like at this moment. Daniel Ricciardo, he was the story of the entire week, really. Ever since we've learned that he's coming back to Formula One, he's in arguably the slowest car of the grid. There was great deal of attention on how he's going to perform this weekend qualified pretty well in fact got into q2 out qualified teammate yuki Sonoda by pretty fine margin in q1 but it ended up being four places on the grid uh, and then it seemed like it was all going to come undone on that first lap with a crash from joe guanyu behind him wiped out the two poor old alpine cars the team can't catch a trick can it uh, and on the day McLaren scored so many points, uh, but recovered pretty strongly from there. He finished 13th, having been running in 18th and last at the start of the race. And I thought it was interesting how his experience seemed to come to bear here by making some strategy calls from the cockpit, 40 laps on the medium tyres at the end. How big an impact in terms of how big an impact Daniel Ricciardo could have made this weekend was this on, I guess, the potential scale? I, th- I think very impressive. I think very impressive to be the lead Alpha Tauri. Look, it's a tricky car. And he would have known that when when he was given the offer. Um, Very impressive to get back up to speed, use the practice day well, but obviously lost lost an hour. Um, Shoulders could have gone down, could have been anonymous. Uh, Clearly, some of the the bad habits that had crept into his driving, in in the words of Christian Horner, have gone. He seemed very, very happy every single time we went on board with him. There didn't seem to be any hesitation. seemed to be a nice uh, flowing style. And I like the fact he wanted to get off the hard tyre as quickly as possible. This is a man that's missed being uh, behind the wheel of a Formula 1 car for a while. Yet 40 laps on the medium tyre. That, that is a lot of confidence to go, yeah, I'd like to try this. I'd like to do this. Um, and if you consider that Yuki spent the majority of the race on the hard tyre, I think... It, that shows a confidence and understanding, um, and I think it bodes really, really well for the rest of his time with that team. That they were instantly off on the front foot, um, and by the end he was he was you know his lap times were horrible, but his strategy was correct. So that 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 is an encouraging an encouraging thing. And if you consider that uh, he's really not too far away from the points at all, plum last and 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 hit at the back. I don't know. I think he'll be very, very happy with that first round. On paper, unspectacular, but uh, exactly what he needed. I think he'll be confident. How do you see the dynamic with Yuki Tsunoda working? Because I thought after qualifying and after the race, you know, Yuki's not always a guy who expresses very many words about almost any topic, unless it involves food, usually. He does love his food. <laughs> Good food, yes. too, worth saying. Not just a junk food man. After qualifying in the race this weekend, though, was really short. Like, it did seem like 
feared, I don't know if, if it's fair to say got a little bit under his skin, but clearly felt like suddenly things were being turned around on him a little bit. He talked about how after the race, the strategy was not to his favor. And he explained it there that just spent too long in the hard tire and too long in traffic, which was sort of the exact opposite of what worked for Daniel Ricciardo. How much lift do you think Sonoda can bring to this challenge? We know he's really good. He's rated really highly by drivers this year for his performance. How big a serve back do you think he can deliver? He's heading to a circuit next where he's won out in the junior formula. He's always gone well at Spa in the junior formula. Um, but welcome welcome to the big leagues. This is it. You're up against an eight-time Grand Prix winner now. You're up against someone who has beaten Sebastian Vettel in a straight fight. You're up against someone who has you know, won Monaco Grand Prix under huge duress when the car's not working. There's a knowledge, there's a skill level, and there's an adaptability with Daniel Ricciardo that Yuki Tsunoda will not have seen in all respect to Nick De Vries and to Pierre Gasly. Daniel Ricciardo has won more, has achieved more, has more knowledge of front-running machinery, and so he has a taller challenge to size up to. But I don't think, you know, that is a privilege. What a fantastic opportunity now. If, if Daniel Ricciardo is aiming for that second Red Bull seat, Yuki Tsunoda has every opportunity to beat him, every opportunity to go, why not me? And that's not where the narrative is at the moment. But if he can out-qualify him and if he can out-race him, then maybe he can change that narrative. And narratives, as Daniel Ricciardo's time at McLaren shows, doesn't matter how many races that you've won, it's your performance in the here and now that matters. So Yuki long-term Formula One prospects are going to hinge on the next year behind the wheel that he has. And he's almost skipped to the good bit. He's up against a brilliant comparison now. He'll learn a lot. He'll certainly learn a lot in the debriefs. He'll, he'll learn the way that Daniel Ricciardo naturally gets a team around him and working just that little bit harder for him as well. And, um, and I think it'll be a really good experience for him. And then it's over, it's over to the timing page to find out who's ahead or how far ahead is Yuki or is there, a, is there a storming lap that he can produce? And you're like, wow, that's a clean lap for Daniel and Yuki's three tenths of a second ahead. That's what he's going to need in the next couple of weeks. It has given us a really fascinating storyline for the second half of the year, among many that are all behind Max Verstappen, admittedly, but still there are many to be enjoyed. We haven't talked about Sergio Perez or what's happened to Ferrari or more particularly Aston Martin. Many teams with things to prove going into the mid-season break, starting with this weekend's Belgian Grand Prix. Potentially record extending for Red Bull Racing, which might silence those who say 12 winner only counts if it's in one season. You're entitled to your opinion. The Hungarian Grand Prix gave us plenty of intrigue, though, despite the domination up front by Max Verstappen. And Alex, it was great to talk about it with you. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Domination isn't always pretty, and it's very rarely thrilling, but the sheer human effort required for Red Bull Racing to continue performing at this incredibly high level for 12 rounds in a row is hugely commendable. The fact no team has managed it in 35 years only underlines how big an achievement it is. It is incredibly impressive. The question now is though, how far can the team go? Thanks very much to Alex Jakes for talking about it with me. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato. I'll catch you next week for the Belgian Grand Prix.
should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.